Hello there, and welcome back to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, finally back in the Netherlands after four weeks of travel. I will talk a lot about what I experienced in Rome, in the Vatican, and also in Phoenix, Arizona, as well as in Anaheim, in California. It's been a busy month. This episode is as is everything that I do, is made possible thanks to my community of patrons, which you can join, by the way, by going to patreon.com slash fatheroderick. And as a thank you, I make a lot of extra content for my patrons, which will become available as soon as you join that community. You also get access to my Discord server, which is a wonderful place to hang out with me, to ask me questions, to share stuff. I often stream, like the other day, I was was streaming a video game on... um, on the Discord server, and you can join in the chat channel. It's it's a it's a ton of fun. Um, so if you have the budget, of course, for a small micro donation, and you want to join me in my quest to reach out to the world through uh, podcasting, through the videos that I make on YouTube and TikTok, and via many other channels, then um, maybe go check it out and uh, consider joining if that's possible. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Speaking of patrons, I was so excited to actually meet a couple of you in person during my recent travels. When I was at the Star Wars celebration in Anaheim, I had a number of people walk up to me and tell me that they were patrons, that they've been watching the YouTube channel, that they've been listening to my podcast, and it was so much fun and so gratifying to finally put a face to all those screen names that I was familiar with whenever I do live stream and I see people in the chat or because I know them from Discord. Um, By the way, before I continue, I want to welcome a couple of new patrons that have joined the community over the past few weeks. Um, And I want to mention specifically Libby, Todd, Greg's World, Violetta, Thomas and Ramon. Uh, I want to extend a warm welcome to you and I want to hug virtually all the existing patrons uh, because you mean the world to me and, and meeting some of you in real life made it more real, more tangible. It was it was so fantastic. So the Star Wars convention in Anaheim was, of course, kind of the summit of my travels. But before that, I traveled to the Vatican to um, make a television item for a live TV program around the canonization of a number of saints, one of which was from the Netherlands, Titus Bransma. He was a journalist and a writer and an entrepreneur, you could even say, a Carmelite priest. Um, He was arrested by the Nazis because he was uh, very much defending the free press and also uh, opposed to all the disinformation that the Nazis were spreading in the Netherlands. So he got arrested and, and was murdered in Dachau in a concentration camp. And so Pope Francis canonized him together with uh, seven, was it seven or nine other saints? Um, And I was there to film that. And if you follow me on social media, you've undoubtedly seen some of the stuff that I posted there. Then I got back home for one day and then I stepped on the plane to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where I stayed with Rob Cubasco, also one of our patrons, and got to meet his family. And we drove with a a few other Star Wars fans all the way to Anaheim 
in uh, California, where I finally attended the Star Wars celebration that was scheduled originally for 2020. But because of COVID, it was postponed many times, and, uh, but the tickets were, were still there. Everything had been arranged two years ago, and so we finally gathered there with I don't know how many. I don't. I don't. I haven't seen any numbers, but I would estimate at least forty thousand other Star Wars fans. Um, I, I was able to um, to experience a number of those panels. The first one of which was absolutely incredible and unforgettable because I, I got to see uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, as well as a ton of other actors, as well as Harrison Ford and John Williams. I've never seen John Williams in real life. I, I've His music inspired my entire life, and it was kind of the soundtrack of my life. And so to see him and to hear him direct an orchestra right there on stage was one of the best moments in my life as a geek. It was unforgettable. Um, it gave me even more admiration for what Lucasfilm is doing with Star Wars and where this this universe of stories is heading. Um, and and to meet so many cool Star Wars friends uh, was absolutely one of the best things that happened to me in the past decade. And I can't wait to meet my fellow Star Wars fans and the creators of the Star Wars stories again in London next year. I already booked my hotel. I want to be there. This has been an unforgettable experience and and uh, I'm, I'm it's going to be amazing next year. Uh, I'll keep you informed about my whereabouts at the time because uh, like this year, I hope to meet a number of you in, in person. It was so funny. I was walking around there and, and people kept walking up to me, telling me how much they uh, liked my podcast, how much they loved what I do on YouTube. A lot of people recognize me from the reaction videos uh, where I react to you know some of those Star Wars trailers. Um, they like the kind of the positive nature of the stuff that I do and how could I not be positive? It's Star Wars. I, I love everything Star Wars. Um, but also, and that really, really surprised me, so many people knew me from TikTok. And it's like, I've only been on TikTok since my birthday in April. And, and yet, and, and th this is where you start to realize the, the reach of this medium. Um, I know that some of my videos have been seen, um, I think, more than 700, 800,000 times. But you don't realize that since I feature in these videos, people recognize my face. They know, oh, that's a priest and the, the geek. Um, and, and, and to have people, in a, even in the middle of Anaheim, not even connected to the Star Wars celebration, walk up to me and tell me that they appreciated the content that I made uh, was super cool and, and really uh, also baffling. And it made me uh, even more motivated to continue what I do and I was also very appreciative of, of a number of families and other people that walked up to me um, sharing how much the mass that I streamed during COVID and that I'm still streaming every weekend, how much that means to them and how it had helped them when they were in lockdown or also helped a, a few people that would have never entered a church in real life. But because it's, it's, it's a stream and you can just... 
listen or watch anonymously, it had helped them to um, to rekindle the faith or or get to know the Catholic faith a little bit better. So all those encounters for me were the heart of, of the these two trips uh, that I did. And then, of course, I got to do a lot of other very cool things. Um, so I was happy that I could stay a few days after the Star Wars convention. So we visited um, Flagstaff, which is a beautiful town uh, north of Phoenix, where it's a little bit more elevated, so it's not as hot as it is in the desert. Um, and the funny thing is, when we drove there, I, I recognized the, the area. And I was like, how, how can I recognize this? Because I've never been in this part of the United States. Turns out I had been driving <laughs> a truck there in a video game. You know, the, I love um, the truck simulator. Uh, so you've got a European version and an American version. And the American version in the standard game, you get actually uh, the state of Arizona and maybe also California. So I've been driving around in my truck and, and I was like, I wasn't driving myself, but I was sitting next to the driver, and I was like, I, I feel like I've been here before. I actually even recognize some of the routes that we're on. And so I get, but it's still a lot better to see it in real life than it is in a video game. Uh, so I finally got to see the Grand Canyon, which was totally amazing, and then the Red Rocks. Uh, it's an area, a mountainous area, not far from, uh, from Flagstaff. And that was so stunning. Oh, my gosh. I filmed everything. I, I filmed content for um, uh, at least three television episodes. Um, and I'm planning on editing this into a continuous story to make like a three-part story about this trip to the United States. And part of it will be about uh, the, this whole Star Wars thing, but it's it's going to be a broader story than that. And I think uh, I, I was super happy that I was able to um, to film so many interviews and to use all the experience that I gathered over the over the years that I've been working in television to to film the story in such a way that it, I think it could be a really really cool uh, documentary. And I'm looking forward to sharing that, of course first of all, with my patrons that get early access to these documentaries. Uh, but I also feel like I'm back. You know, I've not been filming uh, or doing television work for many months. And it, it took me a few days, and then I got just back into the groove. And and in a way, the fact that I was um, a visiting priest from, from the Netherlands, um, and I'm in a different country, it made it even easier to just go towards people and ask, can, can I interview you? Can I ask you a few questions? I got some amazing stories on, um, on, on camera, which I, yeah, I'm so super excited about. So I'm going to, uh, to work on, on editing that material, um, maybe even pitch it to, uh, to my old broadcasting company and see if they're interested. It's, uh, it's, it's, both similar to what I've done before and also different enough. And it's it's a really an adventure. And visually, uh, just this, this, the footage that I have is unbelievably good. So, yeah, it was amazing. It's also really nice to be back home, I have to say, and just sleep in my own bed, even though I'm still a little bit tired because of the jet lag. But it could have been much, much worse. Uh, but it's so good to be kind of be back into the rhythm, cook my own food, um, and, and start working on some of the projects that uh, were on hold during 
during my trip. So let's talk about movies and TV shows. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. So about a week before I started traveling uh, to Rome, I finally got to see uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I saw it together with a good friend of mine, John Domic, and, uh, and his wife. And it was a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and there were some genuine surprises in that movie, especially kind of halfway through the story. So it's about Doctor Strange. It's a sequel to um, to his previous adventures. Uh, he had his standalone movie, which was okay. Visually very impressive. Story-wise, not that good. And then, of course, Doctor Strange has also been making his appearances in the various Avengers movies. Um, but this was a story about... Um, Actually, it's about someone else. This is not really about Doctor Strange. It, of course, he features in that. Um, but it's more about Wanda and about the Scarlet Witch. And I was a huge fan of that TV series. And this, this movie is, is actually the conclusion of uh, what, has, what they developed with the WandaVision. Um, and I thought it was a very, very nice addition. I think uh, um, uh, the actress Olsen... Uh, did a terrific job, even better than in the television series. It gave the movie also an emotional impact that I did not expect. Um, and it also has another uh, younger actress that plays a girl that is able to to travel through the various you know uh, universes th- that are part of the multiverse. Um, she doesn't get to shine that much, but I really liked it. And, and, and she reminded me, her character reminded me a, a lot of, of the Miss Marvel uh, character that is currently uh, premiering on Disney Plus in, in her own television series. That one looks a, like a lot of fun. I have not seen the first episode yet, but I will definitely review it next week on the show. So um, all in all, very, very nice uh, continuation of the, of the MCU. And of course... It, it featured the introduction of a character from the Fantastic Four. I won't spoil anything else as part of the Illuminati. Um, and if this is the first glimpse that we got from the Fantastic Four, uh, yes. Oh, give me more. The Fantastic Four is one of my favorite stories in, uh, in the Marvel comic book world i i just love the dynamics of of the fantastic four i i actually also really like the first fantastic four movies the first two um and then the the the, the last one the more recent one i didn't care for that uh, too much but i really like the characters and i hope that they can soon have their own movie within the mcu so that was very cool um, but we have to talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi as well, because, of course, that was one of the big events during the Star Wars uh, celebration. It was the premiere of the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I was able, and this was totally by chance because I didn't have a ticket, but I got one from one of my listeners who actually was supposed to go there with her fiancé, but then her fiancé had to work, so she had an extra code for And so she was like, if you would like to go in his place and that's how I got not only to go to the first panel with John Williams and Harrison Ford and all that um, 
but I was also able that same evening to see the world premiere of those two first episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the presence of all the actors, in the presence of tens of thousands of Star Wars fans with lightsabers cheering and applauding and laughing and crying. Oh my gosh. I missed those live events. It's one of the things, even though, of course, without COVID, we wouldn't have had this plethora of, of, of cool Star Wars TV series that we currently enjoy so much. But... What I do miss are the are the premieres, like the movie premieres, um, and and this was very similar in 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 overall excitement as as being at a premiere of a of of a big movie, um, and I I really love what they did with Obi Wan. I love that they focus on the development of his character. Um, it's actually more small scale than I thought it would be. Yes, they travel more than than the characters did in, for instance, the Boba Fett, the Book of Boba Fett. Um, but the story itself kind of really focuses on Obi Wan Kenobi and and his character arc, and I like that. Um, it's it's not as cinematic as I thought it would be, but it's good stuff. And I'm actually quite certain that this won't be the last. Uh, we've seen from from Ewan McGregor's Obi Wan Kenobi. This has been such a big hit for Disney. Um, I heard the rumor that they even changed the ending a little bit of the television series, so that they open up the possibility of a second season. And they'd be stupid not to, because I've never seen so much enthusiasm in the Star Wars galaxy as uh, as I witnessed. When, when Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen entered the stage. That was unbelievable. And I think the execution is, uh, is very good. And I love all the little details and references to the original movies, to the prequels. I think it's, it's the perfect time for a series like this. And I can't wait to see what they potentially can do with a second season. <laughs> uh, already pressed that button. Let's press this one. See what happens. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, and even beyond that, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So, I talked in my previous episode about liturgy and some of my grievances when it comes to, you know, badly executed liturgy. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. And that topic clearly struck a chord because I got a lot of feedback about that on social media and on the Discord server from my patrons. But um, uh, in the meantime, I've also experienced liturgy in the Vatican once more, which is not always my favorite place to celebrate liturgy because of the kind of the choir that they have. Anyway, if you want to hear my thoughts on, on Vatican liturgy, I invite you to listen to the previous episode of this podcast. Um, and, and I got to um, to celebrate a few masses in the United States in a, in a kind of a, you know, normal, medium, medium-sized parish community in um in tempe in arizona and 
it was an interesting experience, and I have to amend uh, some of the stuff that I previously said on the podcast, where I was kind of like ranting about liturgy that feels a bit cheap, where maybe the music is uh, not really very good. Um, the, one of the things that I forgot to mention, of course, is that it's often not possible to do any better. Um, it, it, it really depends on the situation. If you are in a parish and with mostly older people um, and you don't have the budget to hire musicians, then, yeah, of course, it's not going to be ideal. Um, I, I always uh, think that uh, when, when you are in a situation where you have limited means, I would, I would recommend going for simplicity instead of trying to do something that is kind of above your your <laughs> your reach um, and, and and one of the things that I uh, sometimes suffer from in the Netherlands is that we come from a, a, a from times where you had these big parish choirs and there was a, a flurry of activity when it comes to composition of new hymns and songs but those times are long gone and a lot of the in, in, in many situations, they still try to continue that liturgical tradition of, let's say, the 70s of the previous century, but it doesn't, doesn't work anymore. The, the choirs are too old to sing that stuff, um, but also the newer generation doesn't care for that kind of music, and it has, it's almost as if nothing evolved after that, and there is a... Uh, and I'm not talking about like old traditional music like Gregorian chant that is basically evergreen, um, but it's more kind of the music that worked if you still had like good singers and a pianist and, and maybe even other instruments. But now what what, what remains is just a kind of a, 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 a like a faded shadow of the past. And and in in cases like that. I would say just either do, do something simple like sing a Gregorian mass uh, or, or, or just don't, don't try to sing or, or just use a guitar and sing something simple. Um, so in the parish where, um, uh, where I celebrated mass, uh, the, the situation was very diverse. Um, there was a, a, a choir on... The, in, during the first mass where I felt that this is kind of the same situation as in the Netherlands. They have this, some of the songs that they sing, but it's all, it feels very 70s. Um, even the style of singing, so you had like a piano on the one hand, and then uh, there was this electronic organ that was playing along with the piano, but because the church itself didn't have very good acoustics, it became very, like, heavy. <laughs> Not in a good way. It was like almost as if the music couldn't escape the space, didn't have enough room. And then the choir itself, there were some uh, some people singing that used this heavy vibrato, you know, like, well, I, I, can't, I can't imitate it. But it was like this old style of singing that, yeah, I, let's say I didn't care for it that much. However, on the... The uh, one of the the other masses that I celebrated, they had a youth choir uh, of younger people and students, and that was excellent. That was really modern music, um, but but it, it it just worked, and and it was much more. I think, of course, it's a certain style um, that is uh, more more like pop music, but the lyrics were good, 
Um, the music was good quality. The choir was good quality. I was like, yeah, I kind of like this. It's, I wouldn't like this every single week, but this this works for me. It's well executed and it's more up to date than than um, than th- what the other choir was singing. Um, so, but then I also went to the Star Wars celebration, and if you look at the how how important music is there during the event, like the 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 John Williams music. Uh, at one point, there was this choir doing the Jewel of the Fates live on stage. It just, oh, it gave me goosebumps. It was so powerful. And as you know, in, in our modern audiovisual world, music is so important to set the tone and the mood. Um, and I feel like as a church, we should, we should learn from, from events like that. And of course... You, you, most parishes will not be able to to hire a choir or or let alone a, like a, a composer who can compose orchestral music but there are other ways to integrate music i think in um, in the liturgy um, that i think we still need to explore a little bit more instead of just telling ourselves well you know it's the best that we can do and yes it's kind of mediocre so uh, but uh, this is this is what you get i i, I feel like there is so much competition out there that we should try to up our standards as po- much as possible. Plus, if you look at the impact that music has on on like this this huge crowd of tens of thousands of Star Wars fans, and then just a a little bit of good, well executed music just changes everything. And I feel like that 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 is what music ideally should also be able to do during the liturgy. It's not it's not. It's not just uh, like a side dish. It it can enhance your your whole experience. It can it, um, strengthen your emotion. Um, it it's something that is, I think, a vital ingredient of good liturgy. Um, but I don't have the answer. I don't have a solution for situations where you are with uh, basically a a more elderly population in a parish. And um, but but then. I would say if you can't do the big stuff, go simple and make sure that what you do, you do it well. I think that may be, that may be the way to go for, for many parishes. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts in the comments on Discord. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I read an awesome book written by Paul Hirsch. Now, that name may not ring a bell, but he was actually extremely important to Star Wars, to both A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. Paul Hirsch is an editor, a movie editor. So it's someone who cuts the various you know, pieces of footage that has been shot, puts it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a sequence... And then matches it with sound effects and with the dialogue and the music, and uh, it's it's a very underappreciated job. It's a huge responsibility to um, to to deliver a story that works, that that is well paced, that hits the right the right moments. And I would even say that a in in many cases. Um, an editor is more important than a director. 
Of course, you need a good director for the basic footage, but if something works or not, if it if it hits the right chord, that is mostly what an editor is for. And listening to the biography, um, the memoirs of this movie editor who has worked on a ton of, of very, very well-known movies, not just Star Wars, but also... Uh, a couple of Michael J. Fox movies and some other big big blockbusters. Um, it it made me even more aware of the fact that that A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back would have been totally different movies had it not been for the Im- impact that Paul Hirsch had. Now you may think, well, hey, but I always heard that it was the the uh, former wife or the first. Uh, wife of, of, of George Lucas that did all the editing, Marsha, I think is her name. Um, and that's correct. She was definitely also one of the editors, but the movies were way too much work for to, to edit uh, by her all by herself. <clears throat> George Lucas was also an editor. He loved to edit himself. Um, so he's very hands-on during the editing process. But then they hired Paul Hirsch to join the editing team um, to, to get the, the movies delivered on time. And what struck me, and I never, I've, I've been studying Star Wars for many decades, but what I didn't know is that in some cases, some of the stuff that we're super familiar with, um, and that I always thought was just what George Lucas came up with, was actually something that they invented in, in the editing room. So at one point, they are editing the aftermath of the destruction of the Death Star, Right where, where um, Luke is finally able to blow up the Death Star and then everybody flies away from it. You also have that shot of Darth Vader escaping, right? He's in his f- TIE Fighter. By the way, the, the TIE Fighter of Darth Vader, the fact that it looks different from the other TIE Fighters is thanks to Paul Hirsch. He was watching the footage and he's like, yeah, I, it's so hard to edit this because... Vader's TIE fighter looks exactly like the other TIE fighters. How are we going to tell people that this is actually Vader's thing? And so they made some changes. They, they gave Vader's ship a different shape so we could easily recognize his ship. So that, that's just part of the, all the suggestions that he made during the editing process because he, he was editing way before they started the, the visual effects. And so he knew what, what, uh, what ILM should, should do. Um, to to make it easier to understand what was going on. But then there is this this moment where Darth Vader escapes, and that, in fact, was not in the planning at all. We were supposed to believe that Vader just died, or at least George Lucas kept us totally in the dark. Everything had already been shot, the visual effects were ready, and then at the very last moment, um, Paul Hirsch was like, well, maybe we should give vader a way out maybe if there's going to be a sequel you want to kind of convey the fact that he was able to get away and so the whole sequence where you see this this ship flying away and remember at one point you see that vader is spinning you see the inside of the cockpit and he's spinning and then he he flips some switches and stabilizes the ship all that was done with discarded footage like apparently the, the the interior set of the TIE fighter was on, a, on a, like a moving arm or crane or whatever, and they had some shots of the, the whole thing tumbling around. They were able to use that, 
And then there were some, some just some random shots of of, of uh, uh, David Prowse flipping some switches in the in the Darth Vader costume, and and so he added that, and and the whole montage, the whole sequence give you gives you the impression that oh well, Vader's ship was spinning out of control, and he flipped some switches, and he was able to stabilize his ship and get away. But that was all done with existing stuff. None of that was filmed with the purpose of of creating that escape sequence. It's just one of the many examples that he gives about stuff that he came up with in editing that were added later and that had a major impact on uh, on the rest of the, of the story. Um, there are so many little details in this book. That f- for that alone, it's really worth reading. Um, and, and it also gives you uh, a much better insight in why some movies flopped and why some others didn't. Uh, in some cases, he was working on movies, and the editor was uh, like very, very um, convinced that it, uh, or the the director was convinced that it should go in a certain direction, and then he, as an editor, is like, I'm not sure about that, and well, the movie flopped. Other movies he was working on, and he was convinced it was going to be a blockbuster success, and then it completely failed as well. So he also kind of reflects on on the choices that he made as an editor and how sometimes you, you get it completely wrong and you expect a movie to do really well and then turns out you didn't really get the pulse of the audience well enough. Fascinating book. So again, it's called um, A Long Time Ago in a Cutting Room Far, Far Away, written by Paul Hirsch. One of my favorite video games is called No Man's Sky. And in No Man's Sky, you pilot an aircraft or a spacecraft and you can visit all sorts of planets, some of which are very much M-class, as they say in Star Trek, where it's very much like Earth. They've got oceans and, and animals walking around and, and, and you can gather minerals and plants to, uh, to build a base. But you also sometimes uh, arrive on a planet and it is like horrible you step out of your your uh, uh your spacecraft and you almost die immediately because the, the 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 pressure is too big or there is acid rain and the moment it starts raining you you start to die and you have to get back to your ship as fast as possible and, and, and escape or find a grotto so the game i think really conveys well what the galaxy is actually uh, about it's not just all about this, the same inhabitable planets. Sometimes these planets can be horrific and cannot sustain life. And this is, of course, also the case in our own solar system, where yeah, you can probably walk around on the moon. Um, you you could travel to Mars. Um, that's already a lot trickier because you've got the radiation and all sorts of other problems that you need to take care of. But the Mars is still an okay environment for people to to uh, to walk on. Maybe not to stay there, but you could visit and survive it. But that is not the case with a planet like Venus, where it is one of the harshest environments that you that you can imagine, except for for instance Jupiter, where it's just a gas giant and you wouldn't be able to even step on the on the planet. Um, but Venus, and, and that's strange because Venus is in some ways similar to, uh, to Earth, 
but it's almost as if it's like the evil brother or evil sister, I should say, of, of Earth because the surface pressure is incredible. Um, the atmosphere is completely poisonous and very, very uh, lethal. And, and, and so it's been always uh, uh, really, really hard to get any data from the surface of the planet because it's so it's so difficult to to reach the surface now there has been a venus mission i think in in 1989 um nasa uh successfully landed the magellan on the surface of venus um and they wrapped up their operations in 1994 but since then there's never been another venus mission because it's so hot and so lethal there. However, uh, there's going to be another mission to to Venus, um, despite the fact that it, the, the the temperatures there can be as hot as 880 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 471 degrees Celsius. And here I was thinking that Tempe, Arizona, was hot, uh, <laughs> but uh, despite that, and and despite all the the chemical uh, dangers of the atmosphere of Venus, they want to launch a Da Vinci uh, craft, or I think the project is called the the Da Vinci Project. Um, They will travel to Venus and try to land uh, a probe. Um, First of all, they're going to circle the planet with the the probe, and then the the probe will actually um, try to descend to the surface of Venus. Um, And all this is going to happen, I think, in 2000... And is it 2029? I think so. Let me look. I've got the article here on on my Mac, and I will uh, include a link in the show notes. Yeah, so the launch of the Da Vinci mission to Venus is scheduled for 2029. And you'll find a ton of details, as well as a little like promotion video uh, in the article in the show notes. So go to fatherodrick.com for, uh, for the link to, to that particular project. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Let's talk about WWDC, the big Apple event event for developers that uh, that is actually, as I'm recording this, still taking place. But it started off with a keynote. Um, again, not in front of a live audience. They filmed it all in advance, uh, like they've been doing during the entire pandemic uh, the, the past two years. Uh, but they did have a big screen outside of Apple headquarters with uh, uh, like a crowd watching it out, you know, out in the sun. Um, so there was a bit more of a, of a live audience. Most of them were, were journalists that then afterwards got to play with the, uh, the stuff that they announced. Now, a lot of it was software-based and was iterative. Some cool stuff. There's going to be a new version of macOS uh, called Ventura. 
immediately made me think of uh, the Jim Carrey movie. Um, and it, that has some nice new features. I loved uh, one particular detail, and that is that in Ventura, you'll be able to use your iPhone, if you have one, as a webcam. And it uses the wide-angle lens on the iPhone to also film your desktop. And I was immediately thinking, that is so cool for Lego. I could just build something on my desk and, and just film it with the phone. And what it is able to do, according to the demo, is it can use one lens to film you as a regular webcam. And then it can use the other lens to simultaneous, sim simultaneously film the the surface of your desk. Um, so that would be like a one-camera solution for uh, for Lego streamers. Um, so that was that was very cool. Um, they also introduced um, a feature that is going to be part of the iOS um, iPad uh, operating system as well, which is um, kind of another form of multitasking where you can group certain applications and then uh, focus on, on one particular set of applications and all the other stuff will be in like stacks on the left side of your screen. I think that would probably work best on a big monitor, um, not so much on a, on a regular iPad, although they also made it possible to hook up your iPad to one of those new USB-C monitors or I, I think it's actually uh, their own, like they have the USB-C port, but it is, uh, I think it's also an airport so I don't. I'm not sure if it will work on a on a regular old fashioned HDMI HDMI uh, monitor like the ones that I have, but I love the fact that you can you can now not just mirror your iPad screen, but you can actually use your iPad to power a bigger monitor. It brings the iPad a little bit more to the level of a personal computer. It's not there yet, but it's definitely getting there. Um, I loved all the little innovations for um, the iPhone, uh, the, like the the, 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 oh, the screen of your iPhone. Um, but I don't have an iPhone yet. I may get one, but I want to wait until they switch to USB-C, which is um, going to be a necessity for Apple uh, because of European legislation. The European Union has decided that they want all these phones and other tablets and, 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 and computers to be powered by just by USB-C. And this is, of course, to reduce the electronic waste. So you can just use one charger to charge all your various devices and you don't have to buy all these specific uh, brand-specific chargers anymore. So... Um, I don't think that Apple is going to do it this year because they, of course, they don't like that at all. They have all sorts of uh, uh, objections to that because they they feel it's stifling innovation. I wouldn't be surprised if Apple actually goes completely, uh, you know, with wireless charging for the phones. So there won't even be a, a Lightning or a USB-C port on the device anymore. But I, I would prefer there was. I, I really think that in order to hook up your phone to, for instance, a microphone or an external screen. I don't know if they can do it wirelessly. So we'll see. Um, I've been using an iPhone while I was in the United States, and that was very hard. <laughs> so I had a loaner phone uh, that Rob had uh, because, of course, I, there's no roaming between Europe and the United States. So if I wanted to update my socials, 
I needed to have access to uh, to a data connection uh, in in the U.S. So I I got a an iPhone. I think it was an iPhone SE, like a smaller iPhone, but it still ran the the current iOS. Um, and wow, that was so hard to get used to that again. It's so funny because I use an iPad on a daily basis, so you'd think that the phone also running on iOS would be almost the same, but it was so different. I'm so used to, to the Android uh, ecosystem on my phone, and and it's I, it feels so much, I don't know, more powerful than iOS. Uh, but on the other hand, I did see the massive difference in camera quality beco- between my Android phone, which is already three, four years old now, and and then the the latest iPhone. What is it? iPhone 13. Rob had an iPhone 13, and he was filming some stuff with and and taking pictures. Like for instance, we were in in Disneyland, standing in front of the Millennium Falcon there, in Galaxy's Edge, which in itself was ah, oh, I can feel I could talk an hour about that experience. It was amazing, uh, but you'll have to wait for my documentary to come out to see that. Uh, and 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 it, I couldn't take a, f- a photo of us with the Falcon. It it was. I, the wide angle wasn't good enough, and then it was kind of dark there. Uh, Rob had someone take a photo with his iPhone, and it's amazing. It's so incredibly good, and all the computational stuff that it does with the photos. I, I was just stunned by uh, both the photos and the video footage that came out of that iPhone, and just seeing the ease with which, you, for instance, when you're vlogging, you can just switch between the wide angle and the close-up and the selfie camera. Um, there is no hiccup anymore on the iPhone 13. Oh, what a difference. I can't, I can't do any of that on my Android phone. So for the camera alone, I would consider going back to iOS, but I might still keep an Android just for all the other stuff that you can do with it. And with that, we've come to the end of yet another podcast. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Hope you enjoyed it. And for those of you that are a part of my Patreon community, you can look forward to another episode of Father Roderick to the Max, which will end up in your Patreon feed automatically. And in this week's episode, Father Roderick to the Max, I will talk about the, the, this incredible experience that I had eating tonk tonkotsu-style ramen in Flagstaff. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Um, I'll also talk about uh, some strategies that I successfully uh, applied to minimize the jet lag or the effects of jet lag. I will talk a bit about Star Wars Rebels Season 2. I just finished watching it. I have a lot of thoughts. And we'll talk about cloud gaming. All that and more coming up in Father Roderick to the Max for my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatheroderick. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll talk soon. Take care, and God bless. Bye.